на трибунах холеют знамена, Облака под небесни плывут. На зеленом ковре стадиона разноцветные майки цветут. Hello and welcome back to the Russian Football News Podcast. Finally, we've met the end of the season with round 30 taking place on Wednesday evening. To discuss the end of the RPL, I'm your host, James Nichols, and I'll be joined by David Sanson, fresh from last week's scouting mission. Hello, David. Hello, I can say it, it went pretty well. <laughs> and back again this week is Richard Pike. Now, Richard, I presume you might be nursing a bit of a Wigan-induced football hangover today? Oh, God, tell me about it, guys. Yeah. Um, hello, everybody. Um, yeah, it was so frustrating. Um so close last night against Fulham, had chances, dubious free kick that led to their equaliser. Alas, we couldn't get 12 points in front um, of the three teams at the bottom of the championship. So it's League One for us with the points deduction, although it is pending an appeal. So we'll just have to see what happens come the end of the season. But right now, most important thing, try and get a takeover the club sorted and just put 2019-20 to bed. I think that's the most important thing, whatever division we're playing in next season. Yeah, hopefully they get something sorted. I think the majority of people watching last night were like, oh, come on, Wigan, hope we can do it. But... It was just one of those things that happens in football, I suppose. Yeah, we got a lot of uh, quite yeah. a few Fulham fans actually even said before game that you know if if West Brom were winning, then we wouldn't actually mind you beating us because you know if you if it means you're safe. But so <laughs> still, I think that happens. Um, we just got to hope and pray that you know we can get the ownership sorted and get back to um, get back one day. So yeah, hopefully, hopefully. And Fingers as the listeners well know, if we're two minutes in and we're off a tangent already, we're into a real good one today, a real exciting one, but. Well, t- today is actually going to be the f- big chunk. First of all, we're going to have a review of the RPL season as a whole. But to kind of save you all from hearing us drawing on endlessly about how Zenit, Loco, Rostov and Ufa were good, while Orenberg, Krilia, Akhmat and Spartak were maybe not so good, let's have a little bit of fun instead with an eager debate over the RFN team of the season. Now, firstly, our methodology. The players themselves have to have performed to a high level over the course of the season as a whole. And this is not necessarily the best 11 players in the league, but just br- merely bringing form into account and who we believe be- performed best per position. Now, we've went for a standard 4-4-2 formation in order to get a balance in the number of players in the team. And from here in, we shall each propose a player from our own inv- individual lists per position, and then that will decide and debate and will make up the final RFN list. So starting off between the sticks with the goalkeeper. My own nomination is... Ruben Gazan's Yuri Chupin. So, David, who do you suggest? Well, I must admit, I was also going to go for Jupin, slightly biased perhaps, because Ruben are, of course, my team. Uh, but, you know, week in, week out, he's just been ridiculously good, pulling off some insane saves. So, um, he was my number one pick. But there were there were a couple of other options up there. And Richard, who was your number one pick for in goal? Yeah, I was sort of torn, guys. I was sort of torn between um, Jupin myself and um, and also um, Akin Fave. It's a tough one with keepers, isn't it? Because, you know, the top two teams, uh, Zenit and Lokomotiv, neither of the, the keepers, you know, Lunyov or Guillerme, I, I don't think I mean, I've had good seasons. Um, yeah, I'd say it's tied between Jupin and um, and uh, Akin Fave, I would say. If I was going to be pressed, I'd probably say... Oh yeah, I'll probably go. I'll probably go. Um, sorry, I'm um, Jupin. I'll probably go Jupin myself. He makes some good saves. Um, you know, he seems very good at coming for things. He's he's good at organising the defence too. I think overall he's he's done very very well. So yeah, I'll I'll make it three in a row and go for Jupin. It was a tight one between him and Akinfeyev, I would say, but I'll, I'll go with Jupin. Yeah, and I think that's 
quite understandable. Uh, there's been quite a few keepers who are pretty much head and shoulders above the rest this season, and it's not just in the own individual ability. And but it's for me when I look at a goalkeeper, the big thing I want is just the consistency, the real genuine consistency. And Dupin, Belenov, and Akinfeev were just head and shoulders above everybody else yeah. again this season. They've got, they've all got yeah, their joint highest clean sheets in this in the league at 13. And 13 from 30 games is pretty damn good. And I, I think my reasoning of why Dupin ahead of Belenov and Akinfeev, because any of the three, I would be really happy to give get in this team. But it's perhaps just the surprise of it. You expect from Akinfeev, you expect from Belenov after the years they've had in the last couple of years. Dupin had a good season with Angie. He was solid and it was in a poor Angie team defensively all over the place at times. And he was one of the ones who kind of shone in that. And that's why he got stay, is still playing in the RPL today. But you didn't really see the sort of like little early signs of a top of the league size at level keeper. Yeah. I mean, before he was at Angie, I, I, I'd never heard of him. He was playing. I couldn't even tell you where he was playing, presumably somewhere in the Fennel. And uh, Angie picked him up, and after a good season, which you know he was their best player in the year they got relegated, and then he's come to us and pretty much saved us from relegation with a number of you know his sheer shot stopping ability is is terrific, and that's for me that's what you want best in a keeper, just someone who can actually save the shots. You know, we can come back to some other you know every keeper makes mistakes. Berlinov's made mistakes, Akinfeev has made mistakes, Stupin's even made mistakes this year as well. So. um so yeah, I mean Belenov was a close shout though. Obviously, Ufa with the best best defense in the league, bar Zenit, only conceded uh, twenty four goals. Um, but um, I think uh, Rupin's defense was sort of putting a little bit more pressure on Dupin, so um, he had a lot more to do. Yeah, and brilliant late discovery. Brilliant late discovery, Dupin. I think. Yeah, no, he was a free transfer, if I remember correctly. Obviously, with Angie going going bust at the time and. There's not really much of a better little bargain that you can get from that as a somebody that you didn't really expect much from on a free. The manager's put the faith in him and he's rewarded that tenfold. Though there is obviously one large caveat with this is that, as you've briefly mentioned there, David, that Ruben style of play kind of it's a double edged sword, I would say. They're, they're a defensive team, which because they're so good defensively, he's got a good back four in front of him. That takes a little bit of the shine off his own performances. But at the same time, because they do sit so deep, I mean, they sit 10 to 15 yards deeper on the pitch than a lot of the other teams, even some of the more defensive ones, which you would presume then invites more pressure onto the onto the defence, forces them to create more saves, and then those forces them to have higher concentration levels for longer in the games. And it says all that when you look at these statistical analytical websites like who scored, like Sofa score, and they, they give their algorithm of, Basically, it's it's not opinion based, but it's just a pure algorithm on statistics of how that player performed in that match. And every single one of them, Dubin, is just categorically ahead of any other goalkeeper in terms of stats. I now, mean, do you think that he that's aided by the way Ruben play, or or is it a hindrance? Because we I can't quite comparing. Decide. I mean, Siska obviously are tending to be more attacking, but obviously they've had a poor season. But let's just compare Ruben and Ruben, both defensive sides. I think Ufa tend to stick with a five-man defence, whereas Ruben have a four-man defence. I think that's the big difference, whereas Ufa, when they when the ball is nearing their goal, it tends to be more that the keeper isn't... You know, the keeper does a lot, Belenov does a lot, but 
I think the defence um, is very good at you know, keep clearing balls away, getting blocks here, interceptions, etc. Uh, whereas for Ruben, it, it's been a bit more leaky this season, despite the calibre, you know, the calibre of Ruben's defenders is individually quite good, but the organisation has not been good. And um, he's just, I, I would have to check, but I presume the volume of shots he's faced and saved is, is probably the highest in the league. Yeah, the, the one performance that kind of points out the most for me of how good he is, 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 is when you discuss that volume of shots was the Ruben game against Krasnodar just recently. And Ruben actually came away with all three points thanks to thanks to the Makarov goal. And due, in that game, Krasnodar had 20 shots on goal and seven on target. And Dupin was the highest ranked player on the pitch. He essentially, like I said, he won the points for Ruben. He was absolutely brilliant. And I think those sort of performances from... <laughs> he's what, he's 32? Yeah, yeah, yeah 32. Where's where's this just came from? Like it's, it's I don't know. Partly I just, shock than anything, to be honest. I just, you, uh, I just pulled up his wiki like five minutes ago when we were chatting and just to look at his club history and it's just like the dregs of the dregs of the Far <laughs> East and then suddenly he got a move to Kuban like quite late in his career and then to Angie and then to Rubin and then I've just pulled out the shots and saves total saves third was Belenov with 90 second was Georgie Shelia from Tambor with 91 Dupin first 122 that's 32 Whoa. extra shots than Belenov saved uh, which wow. yeah I think is a, a bit of an yeah. indication as to <laughs> style of play differences which uh, have boosted his uh, his ratings mm-hmm. you know an extra 30 saves is, is quite extraordinary so we agreed so that's tube in for for in goal it's pretty pretty easy is that one isn't it yeah yeah i'll go with tube in so it's 2v1 anyway we'll move on because yeah. i think we're gonna <laughs> i think we're gonna get a little bit more heated possibly when it gets to the outfield players so next right back now on my list I couldn't for the life of me decide. I had three players I was just umming and ahhing over again and again. And in the end, I stuck with my gut. I stuck with what I know. If it ain't break, broke, don't fix it. And I had to go with Mario Fernandez. And David, what about you? Um, for a long while there, I was also thinking Mario Fernandez. But late in the day, I remembered uh, Vyacheslav Karavayev from Zenit. And I think he's had a terrific debut season and has really. You know, he's stolen that spot from Smolnikov and Smolnikov's had that spot for years and he's coming in his first season and taking it from him. He's he's had goals and assists and obviously Mario is a top player, um, but he's not had his best season in terms of numbers going forward. Cisco have had a poor season in general and I think Karavayev has, has had a better season. Richard, yourself, what was your nomination for this? So I'm the kingmaker here, guys. Um, I have to agree with David. I'm going to go with Karavayev. I think given he's come from um, the Dutch Eredivisie, a foreign league, and, you know, he got released by Siskar, let's not forget. I had to go to, you know, the Czech Republic with um, Sparta and then to uh, Vitesse. He's come into um, Zenit's team, fitted in like a glove, seamlessly um, displaced, as David said. He displaced a, a, a good fullback in Smolnikov too. Um, and he's he's been really impressive attacking and defensively, both in offence and defence. And defense. Mm. So, yeah, I'm going to go with Karavayev. I think it was a tough one, very, very tight between Fernandes and Karavayev, but uh, I'm going to go with um, with Karavayev. Yeah, I'm definitely happy to be proven wrong here, I'll be quite honest. I mean, it's about time that another right-back kind of... Mm. Mario's <laughs> had the monopoly Mario. for years, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, I mean, Vladislav, don't get me wrong, Vladislav Ignatiev has also had a pretty solid season this season, um, especially with the sort of like 
everybody expected Dimitri Zivogladiov to take over his position at local when he signed from Ufa. He started cracking up there as Ufa. And then I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Ignatius yeah, yeah, been long-term playing at a position because he's always a winger at the start. And then wrong end of 30. And then he kind of just never left the first team because he's consistently performing. But I do like going with Karavayev. I mean, there's a big money signing for Zenit from Vitesse, obviously Slutsky's old team. And it's just, it, for a player who's relatively inexperienced, he's 25 now, so he's he's still quite quite young, but considering he's 25, he, he hasn't had a great amount of first-team football and until he really went to Sparta Prague. He, he'd never got a look in whatsoever at, at Siska. And the, the way he's fitted into that team, which is generally a team rife with stars and not looked out of place, is the, probably one of the biggest compliments I can pay to him. Yeah, he's, 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 he's done such Richard. a good job. So he's got such a good job, um, just both in attack and defence. And, and about Ignatiev, yeah, it is actually really surprising because I thought Zivogadov would be a good signing for Loco and I thought that Ignatiev winding down. But it is quite surprising how at 33 he's still going down that right-hand side for, for Loco. But um, but yeah, that, that was quite surprising. I thought Zivogadov would displace mm-hmm. him. But, um, yeah, but yeah, Karavaya yeah, for me, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's oh. strange, yeah, I mean... I'm with you there. I thought I think we all thought that Shivoglia was was going to do it, but you look down the list, you know, other than Mario and and Karavayev, Karavayev at 25 is actually quite young compared to a lot of the other better performing right backs. You know, if you look at say um, Kulikov at Urals, like 34, Sukhov at um, Ufa is 34, Kozlov at Rostov's 33. Yeah, there's Kozlov a lot of old right backs out there, and they've all had decent seasons. You know, Kulikov at Ural never really goes too wrong. Um, so, uh, so yeah, for, for Caravaggio to come in and have such a good first season, um, very impressive. I will have to ask, is that possibly, is he helped by a lack of competition? Because we all know a few years ago, Igor Smolnikov was easily Zenit's first choice. He himself pushed out Anukov at the time and was performing quite well, very well domestically, struggled Personally, I think of the elite level in the Champions League and the Europa League and so on. But for some while now, Smolnikov's not really been the same player. He's been far too easy to beat. He's, he's, I don't know if his head's not been in it or if he's just getting just getting the worse with as he as he matures. But it seems like he's backpedaling quite a lot. So is Karavayev maybe getting a bit of an easy easy job because Smolnikov's underperforming so much, David? Mm, I don't think so. I think uh, he still can't. Can't turn the fact, turn down the fact that you know he's had he's had a good de- debut season going forward. Um, you know, goals and assists, decent numbers, and uh, it's a competitive spot. You know, when a new player comes in, they're not going to be gifted that spot automatically. They've got to make it theirs. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think he's shown that he is the first choice, and now obviously, we'll, it's possible that Smolnikov may end up going. Um, you know, his contract's up, and we may end up seeing him leave. So uh, Karavai may have sewn up that spot long term. And I do think it's worth noting here that this is the caveat at the start, that picking these players doesn't necessarily mean that they're the best in terms of pure talent in the league in this position. But in terms of form, yeah, he's, he's definitely up there with Mario. I mean, Mario is the best right-back in the league. We all know that he's good enough to play in the top five leagues across Europe. Yeah. But Karavayev, in terms of form, more than matched him this season, I believe. Mm. And he was actually the, the guy that I ummed and awed about. I was like, oh, talk about Karavayev. And I, I, initially I thought, did he join a bit too late? But no, he joined perfectly in time. And 
I think he missed so, a few with injury at, at a push. I can't. Mm-hmm. He hasn't played the full season by the look of it, but played most of it. Yeah, he started 17 games and played a total of 20 altogether. I mean, if you look at that, he kept Smolnikov out of the team for the majority of the time that he was fit. So it just figures why he's so important to Sergei Semak's plans. Yeah. I think as well, last um, couple of weeks too, that I think Zenit obviously invested in players, haven't they? So, because uh, they've won the league, so giving, giving Smolnikov yeah, a few games, probably some farewell appearances before he goes. Yeah. And I, I feel that I'm going to, as a Spartak fan, there is that rivalry there. And I feel like the defence may take a little bit of an expected turn at some point, but we'll move on to centre-back. Now, my first choice, I've got one which I think is pretty concrete. And the other one, I don't have a life of me. Who I think we're all going to agree on one. Yeah, I mean, Yaroslav yeah. Rakitsky has to be in there. Yeah, he's he's all of our guesses, I would guess. Yeah, absolutely. He's in I mean, mine too, yeah. I've seen, I follow the Ukrainian league a decent amount, not as much as I used to, but I used to follow it a lot more. And my kind of, from the outside looking in, my perspective for Lakitsky was that he was a bit of a brute. He was just like a big target man, brutish figure sort of fella who's just like the brick wall who stops the attacks. I genuinely didn't realise just how good his technical ability was on the ball until he arrived in Russia and started pinging it around just with absolute ease. He's some of the best pass, long long and short passes, like everything from a centre-back that I've seen in the Russian game for quite a few years now without trying to overdo that hype. is uh, I mean, it's the hype for a reason because he's so good. He's just got the all-round package that you don't really see outside of the very top elite levels of football. Absolutely. Yes, I agree with that. Yeah, he's been a, a revelation in that defence for them. I mean, the only mis- uh, if I'm going to play a little bit devil's advocate, the only thing I can remember of late, and obviously it's been a long season, the first off the season was a long time ago, but it was a, a foul that he made where he, he, he wiped out <laughs> he wiped out a, an attack, was it a Krillier attacker for a, for a penalty? I, I can't remember anyway, but it was, he wiped somebody out for a penalty and even then it was, to be honest, it looks pretty harsh. But if that's, that's, Serious nitpicking because I can't genuinely remember any other like major cock up or laps in concentration he's had. And once again, that that consistency, that understanding of the game, that ability to just perform week in week out is vital in a solid defence. So moving on, I think pretty pretty simple that one. We don't need to go much on that, do we? No, I think, no. We're, I think we're all in agreement on Rikitsky. Now the big question is: Does his teammate? And partner at the back, Branislav Ivanovic, make it or or not? Because on my shortlist, I had a few. Uh, yeah. Ivanovic, Samuel Zizou and Igor Sorokin are the three that comes to mind straight away. David, who, who, who do you think could look partner Rakitsky? Yeah, I mean, well, I had Ivanovic up there as well, um, naturally, as you would. You know, still still going strong at 36. I had, I had Zizou in there as well. Um, Becoming a bit of a cult figure there at Spartak. I see he's been linked away actually with a move back to France, which would be an yeah. interesting one to follow. Um, maybe some Rubin bias, but I think uh, Filip Rimovic has had a terrific season as well, um, and uh, I think he's turned up in like as you mentioned some of the team this season. I think uh, Rimovic has turned up in at least two of the ones I've seen going around mm-hmm. uh, today. Um, so he he'd be my third choice. Um, it is, a, it is a tough one. It's a very tough one. 
I think I don't want to go on bias. I, I think I'm avoiding Urovic to sound less biased. <laughs> um, well, if it's any help, I myself suggested a former Rubin player at least. Yeah, Yegor Sorokin. Come back, come back to me. <laughs> Richard, who do you think could get that spot next to Rakitsky? I've actually forgotten about Sorokin, the guy, actually. Um, I mean, I've, I've put down Gigo as a, It's a tough one, this. I've put down Gigo as a shortlist. Devave's had an okay season, I think, to Choluca. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a tough one, isn't it, behind Rakitsky? I'm not really sure. I'm just going to throw... I don't know what you guys think of those ones, Choluca and Devave. Um yeah, I think Choluca's been solid for Loco. Yeah, Choluca, yeah. That he always does. Like he, no matter who he's playing alongside, be it Havedes or Murillo or whoever else, he he genuinely keeps that defence together. And the, the one time that you've seen Loco kind of wobble of late was when he was out for so long with a horrendous injury. Um, but, and I think if we're play, possibly playing the long game here, I think we could do our friends Vanovic and Choluca, the guys with the Zimmer frames a favour and possibly edge towards some of them because people like Igor Deveev will have his day pretty soon. Yeah, I think Deveev sort of just... I can certainly remember a few mistakes from Deveev. I know he's been having to sort of... You know, he's he's only, what, 19, 20? And he's having to sort of carry that defence um, considering he yeah. had to play alongside Karpov for so long. Um, yeah, I mean, you look at the Siska at the start of the season and Deveev's the least experienced out of who you would have presumed to be the starting three and a combination of Magdusson, Vassin and Deveev, you'd think, well, he's the one who's the least experienced. He can have a nice, easy season, settle in, get used to being in such a big team, get used to playing at a higher level consistently. And then it turns out that he's the fulcrum and keeping them together for the majority of the matches. You, you can't really fault him at times for that, despite the fact that, yes, he's made mistakes. He's, he's lapses of concentration. Remember giving the ball away a couple of times, taking guys down with just rash tackles, but that's, a natural part of inexperience at the back, and yeah. he will deal with that as his career yeah. progresses. I think I'll, I think I'll plump for a, for Uremovic, um with Ivanovic a close second. Um, I think uh, we should also give a shout out to Andrei Semyonov from Ahmat, who played every minute of the season. He was the only player to do so this year. So just a little hats off to him. That's some achievement as well, especially considering with what's going on in the wider world. <laughs> but Rumovic is, uh, I don't know, he was pretty terrible against Spartak at the midweek, and that is right in my mind, I must have to say. I think he only shot. made one one big mistake against Spartak. Um, I'm not giving the penalty as his mistake, because Conoval sold him well short with a back pass. Yeah, yeah um, true. I saw that back pass. But then, yeah. then I would go to Sirokin and say... He also had a shocker when you mm-hmm. uh, against Dinamo recently. Really, really poor game. Considering he's playing against the front line of kids, uh, you had yeah. three teenagers in that front line, and he he was getting bamboozled by the three of them. And he didn't start yeah. this week as a result of it. Really, I've just spent spinning circles the whole game. He was getting stretched the one way, stretched the other. You can, and that's that's I'm surprised about that as well actually, because Sorokin's obviously he's a big guy, but I've never seen him really struggle like that physically. Like when he yeah. when you've got a, a player playing on his shoulder, usually like obviously no defender likes defended on the shoulder as they do long balls at the top. That's just a natural way of the game. But Sorokin specifically has always, to me anyway, been quite good at having to defend against this on the shoulder. Now, is yeah. that possibly? Uh, transition from going from Ruben, who do, as we say, sit so deep, to Krasnodar, who went 15, 20, 30, 40, maybe even yards higher up the pitch at all times. 
Perhaps. I mean, he's a quick. He's pretty quick lad as well, considering his height. And obviously, we know we know he's very good on the ball, which is presumably one of the big reasons Kresnar brought him in because of their style of play. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Perhaps. So we've seen. Uh, I think we saw it last year with uh, Skopintsev, who went there from Rostov. We we all assumed that would be a nice fit, but he'd spent so mm-hmm. much of his career playing as a, a midfielder or a wing back that he couldn't deal with playing as a full back and a four four at the back formation, and he was sold on within a year. Um, so yeah, maybe you know their tactic is obviously very, very difficult to adapt to, and yeah. we'll see whether he whether he can adapt to it. Yeah, I think Krasnodar is arguably the for players who are not academy products, and Krasnodar haven't played that way for the whole basically career at the club. Is that they are the one who are the most difficult to adapt to, especially from te- players who come from teams like Rostov, from Ufa, from Rubin, who all play a very similar style of football. You could kind of take a centre back or a, a full back out of any one of those three teams and kind of interchange them. They'll probably do a decent job. Whereas when you take them out and put them in the Krasnodar, it's like a completely different style of play from the majority of what they've experienced. And I think that's why. Krasadar themselves have kind of looked at Chetanova to try and get some other players in. Mm. You just reminded but, me that um, when you said about Ufa, I suddenly thought, oh yeah, they, they signed Dmitry Stotsky from Ufa and he, he missed a big swaver mm. this season with injury and that was that was a big miss for them because he's a, he's a terrific player, obviously. Nice um, versatile and always running. I've forgotten. Um, I've going, forgotten that's going Stotsky, off topic. Yeah, yeah I've forgotten too. <laughs> so, who are we picking? So, I think I'm going to have to go with the the big Serb. I, I can't Manage. know. Yeah, I'd, I'd happily concede. European brick wall, the Balkan brick wall at the back is just absolute rock. And I think Simak deserves a lot of credit for the way that he's galvanised what was a disparate, disparate squad of players who looked like they never played together under Roberto Mancini. Now, Ivanovic was like the, the, the big transition. He's the one holding it together. I'll use Sunderland as an example, but that's a terrible example to use. But John O'Shea was the bad footballer, but behind the scenes kept everybody together. Now, you've got the influx of Rakitsky, you've got Bonova Barrios, you've got Asmoon coming in and Malcolm coming in, etc. Karavayev. There's, there's kind of like half of the team is what the remnants of Mancini and the other half of the team are Semak, so new guys. And Ivanovic has just led them and led them perfectly and sort of brought them all together in like a really nice way that to be honest you haven't seen with Zenith for quite some time it's not just the team with the big stars it's they look like a genuine team for the first time in a long time and I, th- I think I'm gonna have to bite the bullet and go big Branislav Ivanovic that's uh, fine with me yeah if you if you guys if you guys are going for it then if that's fine I mean, I'm outvoted if you if it's two to one I, I would pick Luca, but <laughs> I, I would pick Luca, but yeah there's there's um valid cases for Ivanovic and and Gigo, but yeah and Sorokin too but yeah I'll, okay I'll go Charluca with mine but I think two to one you guys win Ivanovic <laughs> okay so we've gone three out of four Zenit thus far oh god in the defence that is probably <laughs> <laughs> I mean, eighteen goals conceded to be fair so. I'm thinking now of who we were discussing as left backs. <laughs> oh well, yeah, because uh, I think left backs pretty obvious as well. Um, Douglas Santos is by far and away be the best left back in Russia this season, and arguably has been one of the better performance centre midfielders when he's played there in Russia this season. Just mm. what a fantastic signing! Terrific. Like, I've genuinely never heard of him. Like maybe that's just my own shortfalls in wider football, but I'd never heard of this guy. 
Ikebe in and I seen it and Lucas come in as well at Spartak and the two like Brazilian left backs I said, oh, this could be quite exciting to see how they do and and Ayrton's been good for Spartak. Oh, yeah, I'd, but... I'd like to give props to Ayrton. He he was definitely a close second. I think he's especially in these last um, six weeks or so. I think he's been really good. Um, but yeah. Doug, Douglas, yeah, incredible. He's been All good three fit for that my... uh, left wing back position, hasn't he? Um, Ayrton Lou. I mean, he's been, he's he's done well since the um, return to play into the Spartak games yeah. I've seen. Good fit for that left wing back role. But yeah, I think Santos. I'll probably edge it but over the season. He would he would edge it. I, that... think, I would say. The shift to a back three, back five, whatever you want to call it, has definitely helped Ayrton. Because mm. when he was in a, in a four with Mirzov ahead of him, he was Mirzov doesn't defend. He's, he, he, he doesn't not he doesn't know how to defend. He just doesn't. He just stands at the top, absolutely clueless. So it was a lot of the time Ayrton was kind of isolated a lot, and he's not the he's a, he's a solid defender. Don't get me wrong, but he's he's not like the. Santos levels, he's not on oh, no. Christian Ramirez levels. He, he's sometimes if he's got a, a tricky winger with pace, with genuine ability, he, he can get isolated and struggle a little bit defensively. So sticking Jikia in, moving Jikia further over, pitting it, moving it with three has really sort of helped him a lot from yeah. that sort of initial defensive issues he's that he did have. He's very good going forward, I think, for for a left back at least. Um, and he's very. Yeah, I've noticed in recent weeks he's very very fast, and he's. I know I've seen he's been employing this sort of knock and run, just knocking it past whoever he's facing mm-hmm. up against on that side, and he's going to beat him in a leg race. He, he's probably one of the quickest players in the league, I would guess, based on based on some yeah. of the sprints I've seen him do. But Douglas, there's you know, really, um, there's a really exciting one. One quick last thing about Ayrton before we move on, because it's not him, but there's the, one of the most exciting things in football for me is when you got the two wing backs, and then one of them gallops at one side of the pitch, the other one gallops up the other, and assists for the other one to yeah. score and. That's happened that three times this season. That goal against Arsenal yeah. was fresh in my mind. Yeah, yeah. Either Raskasov or Ater himself score, and that's actually happened three times this season for Spartak, which is pretty wild. Yeah, I'd like to also yeah. um, just give an honorary mention to um, Bogasovac from uh, Ahmad, who only joined in uh, in January and therefore has only played like nine games. Uh, but I think he's been brilliant, uh, brilliant discovery out. I think he came from like mm-hmm. the Montenegrin league or something like that. And uh, he's he's been fantastic. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think he'll 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 be someone to watch next season. And you know, getting a full season under his belt. Um, so yeah, someone to watch maybe for next year. But um, good signing from them. Chernoff as well. I think, sorry, I think Chernoff's done quite well as well. Eugenie Chernoff. There's that brilliant goal line clearance that he did uh, for Rostov. Oh, I think it was early on this season. Uh, he's been quite consistent. Twenty nine appearances for the team that finished fifth. So that's a shout out to him. Um, Chernoff, you have Jenny Chernoff. I suppose you have to be yeah. released by Zenny. Chernoff, so. he's, he's been kind of regularly voted in, in Rostov's own fan polls and Twitter because they do like a fan thing every every game where it's player the t- best player in the game and then like the, the, the show, like the full list, and then best player of the month and the show, the full list. And quite regularly, you have Jenny Chernoff as a like top three, four every single match, every single month for Rostov. Mm. But on, on him, Akmat as well. It's funnily enough that at the start of the season they I thought they struggled to replace Milad Mohammadi who who left. And like they had Gigalayev playing at yeah. left back for quite a while and I think he, he struggled to be quite honest. I mean he's he's getting on quite a bit now and then when they made that they went back to a three at the back of not playing the four at, the, at one point and then Gigalayev was just completely out of his depth and Bogosavac has been really good, but 
I think it's one of those where we'll just give him a little notable mention because he's played so little. Oh yeah, that's that was all it was. Yeah, but um, yeah, just a notable mention. I think if if he'd been there the whole season playing at that level, I'd have certainly considered him. I actually feel a bit bad for Douglas Santos because we've just kind of said how good he is and then talked about every other left back. Yeah. <laughs> Words cannot describe. Yeah, but he's, he's been... There was a little little error in a recent game when him and Lonyov had a little misunderstanding which led to the penalty and then Lonyov made a great save from it, if I remember correctly. But apart from that, he's just been an outstanding performer and don't forget, I mean, Yuri Zhirkov might be 34, 34 35 now. Like he's got his Zimmer frame out now, but He's, he's, he's still had a pretty decent season, Jurgov, from like from his age. Like we'll bring that into account. And and whenever Santos plays, like oh, his fit, he's either playing in centre midfield in in the case of two other very good players, or he's just absolutely bossing down that left hand side. And I, I genuinely didn't see that coming out of out of anything much. So. Do we move on to central midfield or out wide next? Well, we're going. We think we're going four four two. Are we not? So uh, yeah, let's go centre midfield. Yeah. Now I think this is. I've got three out for. We'll do the two positions together. We'll just mould this into one. Save a bit of time. I've got three who have to be in the team, but obviously only two can be. And yeah. Two of them are again. Zenit players and Vilmar Barrios and Magomedos Doyev. Barrios has to be in there, I think. But at the same time, so does Nikola Vlasic. It's Siska Moscow, who's been brilliant this season. Now, I'll, I'm, yeah. I'll just lead off with that, David. What do you think? Well, I, I put some thought into this and I, I remembered someone who I'd forgotten. Um, oh, so God. for our two, our two positions, Barrios was definitely my first pick. Um, you know, one of the best midfielders in the country. And then I remembered how good a season uh, Gregor's Kukoviak's had. Yeah. Um, and I think for a centre mid position, I, I'd have to pick those two, although Ozdoyev was close. I was considering Vlasic, because he's more attacking, I was going to put him as one of the wider players, as one of the suggestions, at least, for the wider players. Um, but yeah, it has to be, for me, Barrios and Krikoviak were my top two with Ozdoyev. Um, not far off behind them. Even then, we've got people like Matthias Norman and Christian Naboa who've had good seasons as well. <laughs> just yep. the list just goes on. Alex Alex Kral, like oh Alex Kral, Obiakov, Sitka. Richard, who do you think? Have you got any hard bets, hard suggestions? Do you know the interesting thing is I've actually look at Lokomotiv and um, we'll move on to Miranchuk in a moment, but um, probably. But um, him and Kuchovic, Miranchuk and Kuchovic have scored twenty-one of Lokomotiv's forty-one goals this season. So that's over half their goals have been scored by those two players. So it, I think, yeah, I, I agree with David. I, I think Kuchovia has to be in there. I think he's, you know, in that box-to-box role. I think he's looking really good. Um, and I'd put him in there with, Bar- uh, with Barrios, yeah. Oh, James is killing himself because he forgot Kuchovia. <laughs> no, I didn't forget Kuchovia. I've got, I've got a spreadsheet here with him in bold. And after the bold is literally in brackets. Ilya will kill me if I don't if he doesn't get in this team, but I absolutely <laughs> refuse to put him in it just to annoy Ilya. <laughs> and that's see Ilya Sokolov is an RFN writer for the listeners and a diehard Logo fan. And a diehard. <laughs> yes. Oh god so, damn it! Um, yes, I, I I have to agree. Like he's he's got nine goals this season. He's been easily Loco's most influential player in that in the spine of that team, and I didn't expect it. I mean, he, he went out he. he 
he was yeah. brilliant in Sevilla, and then went to West Brom, was it, in England? Yeah. And it was dreadful, yes. like truly, truly dreadful. And then, obviously, it's a different type of football, arguably a higher level of football, and more physical, faster-paced game, which doesn't suit Krakowiak whatsoever. But it's when he came, you expected him to be like the, the ball-winning destroyer. Yeah. I thought it would be like a Barrios or like a Pontus Wernbloom, but it's his attacking impetus that surprised me so much. Yeah, it's the fact that he's added, because obviously he had last season as well, and he's, he scored a couple, but it's the fact that this season he suddenly added goals to his game. Like, he's, you know, he scored, he was scoring some terrific goals as well, not just like tap-ins or whatever, but he was scoring mm-hmm. some fantastic goals. He scored a couple of goals in Europe as well. They had a much better Champions League campaign. Granted, they still got knocked out. They did a lot better this year than last, where they lost every game, I think. Um, uh, and yeah, yeah. He's, he's he just suddenly yes. added goals to his game out of nowhere. Let Baranov sit behind him as as a good, you know, Baranov's been so you could you could mention him as having had a terrific season uh, as their holding midfielder. Um, although in recent games, obviously they've brought in Magkayev as well. But um, yeah, the fact that Krakowiak at his age, you know, it's thirty, just suddenly added goals to his game and giving that bit more freedom to go forward and. And support, you know, a, a poor strike force. Let's be honest. Um, and yeah, and he he's made up for their poor strike force with with some terrific goals this season. I think Baranov is actually quite a good a good reason as to why Krakowiak's been so good this season is 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 the way he's came on. I mean, obviously last year there was they had Logo had Igor Denisov, who let's be fair, he's is a bit of a legend in the game. He's he's been great for lots of clubs over the years, but he was. He's 36 now, and by the time he, he left Loku, he was 35. And he's retired now, hasn't he? He got he did himself. But, yeah, he retired in the summer, I think. Yeah. So bringing in Krakowiak, like that's, that was just an excellent signing and out of nowhere. Because I actually laughed at the time. I thought, oh, that's going to be just like Havarius, where he's going to mm. be past it and it's not going to. It's not going to bring much. It's, it, it's a typical local signing. I think was the exact words that I used. But it's been anything but. Well, like to be fair. Been, yeah, they've been not too bad, you know. Considering they've sort of moved towards signing older, older, experienced players, their their track record, you know, is, is not too bad. When you count Farfan as a big success, and now you count Krikovic as a big success. Um, and and how it is, you know, I think also you could count as a success. Joao Mario, maybe not so much. And um, who's the other one I was thinking of? I forget. But um, but yeah. Krakowiak has done has done really well. So is that a Krakowiak, do you think, nailed on? Is there no case I can put for Ozdoyev ahead of him? Are we trying to de-zenitify zenitify the team, or is that such a phrase? Or... <laughs> There's a very strong case for Ozdoyev, but um, I think I think Krakowiak has, has been so key to local. <laughs> so... I mean, my sentiment field right now is just stuck between a rock and a hard place. Like, who is it? Is it going to be 11 Zenit players, or do we stick the local guy in there? Like, oh, well, of, the Zenit, <laughs> of the Zenit midfield, of Barrios and Ozdoya, Barrios has definitely been the better and more important. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I think Kobiak, in the, in the whole scheme of things, has, has been better this season than Ozdoya. I think Ozdoyev is important to Zenit because he's not just the destroyer. He's he's a kind of like the all-round guy. He's the, the big link between Malcolm, Zuba and yeah. Asmoon to to the rest of the team. Because obviously he got on the left is more than often than not Alakoziaev, who's a very capable footballer, don't get me wrong, but the way Zenit like, line up in this asymmetrical formation is because kind of cuts in a little bit... Um, 
is a little bit narrower, allows Douglas Santos to bomb down the wing. And his job is to kind of keep the shape to an extent, is to is to be like a box-to-box midfielder just playing on the left. And then Ozdoyev is then the one who's the the guy who's his, it's his job to link midfield and attack. But I just I, I can't look past just how absolutely incredible Vilmar Barrios has been all season long. Mm. So that's Ozdoyev. It's not Ozdoyev, sorry. Krikovia Barrios in centre midfield? I think so. Yeah, I'll go with that. Uh, fun part, out wide. Now, one of these is pretty much <laughs> obvious. It's, it has to be Alex- Alexei Moranchuk out wide. Yeah, without doubt, I think. Yeah, 100%. In, in the second half of the season, for me, he's been the one that's kept Nikolic from being a little bit more under pressure. Now, local fans were, obviously were not happy when Semin was sacked. There was a, a walkout in the first game back um, in, in honour of, of Semin, who's a, a club legend. And they, they, they had no issue with Nikolic himself. They just they didn't want Semin sacked in the first place. And at first, and, and a lot of the games in the second half of the season, local have kind of Look very defensively solid, very, very well organised, but lacking maybe a little bit of penetration in the, in the final third, lacking a bit of a plan. And at times it has been either a Moranchuk penalty from an excellent move by him or an absolute wonder goal, which has possibly dragged Loco out of, out of it and basically gave them second place at times. Yeah, he's... Uh... I mean, he's he's just a joy to watch. He's he's such a classy player on the ball, and uh, you know, with the with, with his brother Anton missing as well, obviously last season together they were they were terrific, and they they've got this terrific relationship on on the field as you would expect uh, from twins. Um, but Anton obviously missed two thirds of the season, and he's had to he's had to really step up this year with João Mario not performing as as expected and. You know, no one really carrying the team up front with Djordjevic and, and Edir sort of barely scoring. And, uh, yeah, he's just been terrific. Goals goals and assists galore. Um, just fantastic to watch. And hopefully it's not his, well, maybe hopefully it is his last season in Russia, um, depending on how you look at it. But um, mm-hmm. a very good season nonetheless. Now, he's kind of, he's, kind of, he's basically kind of done everything, hasn't he, for locomotive? He's scored, he's assisted, penalties, set piece. You want to you name it, he's done it. He's, you know, and like say, in the absence of a goal scorer, you know, I think Ada and Smoloff have scored, I think it's only eight goals between them, and Smoloff even went on loan to Celta. So, um, yeah, I think I think he has to go in. The locomotive would not have finished second without his, um, his overall contribution. Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. And he, he overshadows his brother again. I feel sorry for Antoshka because he's kind of spent his whole life and career at Loco in, in Alexei's shadow, but yeah. it's it's for a reason. Like Alexei is a one in a generation talent when he's in that mood. I mean Anton sort of uh, twenty eighteen and twenty nineteen had very good seasons. I think there was I can't yeah. remember which one of the ones, but there was a one year where they were basically Anton was actually the better of the two on the pitch. I think it was just prior to the World Cup. It was, um, yeah, I believe And so. together, you know, it, yeah. it seems such a shame if they're going to move on or if Alexei is going to move on to split them up because they're so good on the pitch mm-hmm. together. But if uh, if someone does come in for Alexei, it's, it's uh, a license for Anton to try and take the reins and, and fill, fill the void left by his brother, which uh, and shoes, of course, yeah. he has the talent to do, undoubtedly. This is Alexei's last, arguably last, expected to be last season at local, maybe. He's out of contract at the end of 2021. So you, you, you're thinking they're either going to 
sell him for big money or get him on a new deal, maybe. Yeah, I think it's got to be one or the other. This 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 is crunch crunch summer for for Loco and for Miran for Alexei Miranchuk to decide what he wants to do with his career. Um, mm-hmm. I think you know there's there's constant rumours of him being linked away, certainly to um, to AC Milan, the big rumour this summer. Um, yeah, I've seen that. If, if that's a if that's a legit rumour, I think yeah, you know, I think he's got to take it for the for the. I think he'll regret it if he doesn't. Uh, if it is, if it's there, um, and you know, while it's a shame to see him go, you, we sort of want to see Russian players take that, take that, take that risk, take that gamble, move abroad, and yeah. uh, get Russian players playing in Europe again, like like they did in the nineties. You know, at the moment we've just got uh, Golovin, and that's that's pretty much it. It's yeah, but with someone like, much- like Udinese, sorry guys, but someone like Udinese or Genoa, I'd probably say yeah. I'll- it'd be a bit more of a, an iffy one for me about leaving Loco for that level of club. But if it's someone like AC Milan, like David said, you, you can't refuse going to AC Milan. Even someone like Sevilla in Spain or you know um, Tottenham, someone like that chasing Champions League in, in England, you, you can't refuse that level of club. So yeah, if that Milan rumour is true, then 100%, I think he, he's got to go. We can't turn that down. Yeah, I think he would be wiser to stay away from England as well, personally. Mm. England's a little bit of a pace merchants game at times in the Premier League and Alexi's not no, no, he's no slouch, but he would do far better in the more technical he, league. He's, a, so um, equally, yes. really. he's what I'd call yeah. a luxury player. I think uh, yeah. if you sort of look at someone like Meza Ozil, he, he's quite similar in terms of what he's going to do on the ball. Uh, Ozil, I would consider a luxury player as well. Someone who can do all the fancy stuff, who's so good technically, um, but mm-hmm. maybe doesn't have the time needed to do what he needs, what he can do in the Premier League. And I think Moranchuk so, is is someone similar to that. You know, he's he's incredibly gifted, um, but he will he'll only suit very specific sort of tactics and leagues. And I'm gonna move on here, but mm-hmm. I'm gonna quickly suggest that we could do the strikers now and then move on to left wing because, let's face it, the strikers are pretty clear cut, and everybody <laughs> knows who exactly it's going to be. Yep, absolutely. Now, I think so. Uh, Eldor Shomorodov started the season very strongly, but has faded in the second half. Yep. Alexander Sobolev, pretty much the same sort of thing. Yevgeny Lutsenka is the closest of honourable mentions out of nowhere, literally out of the blue. Found has got the best his best season in terms of games. The most games played he's played in the season since he was a kid. Uh, his most goals he's scored by far. He's nearly doubled his best ever tally. He's the most shots on target he's had, the most everything. Aerial duels is the, the highest in his career since, I'll say, since joining D, since the Dino. But, in a big but, there's absolutely no other option to play up, be up front than Sardar Asmun and Artyom Zuba. No. The the deadly duo have to be our choices, I think. I think, no doubt. Top scorers in the league between them, the joint, you know, 17 apiece. Um, and I think as... Uh, Richard pointed out for Loco um, with Kukovia Kamaranchuk scoring over half their goals. I'm pretty sure um, Zuber and Asmoon have done the same for Zeni. Yeah, I think they're on, I think, something like just over two per game. Zenit in terms of scoring, I think, 62. So, yeah, I think they're on 34, 30, is it 34, 30? Yeah, 34, 17 yeah. each. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they've got over half. 65 scored for the season and they've got 34 of them. Just. Yeah. Uh, you know, and considering all the assists they've also got, Juba's the Juba also is the top assister in the league. We can't ignore that. You know, <laughs> no, for some, no. if you said who's the who's the best assister, you're going to think right, some it's going to be a winger, 
midfielder, Blanchard, someone, maybe. Who does yeah. a lot of, someone who does a lot of dead balls. Uh, but no, it's big man Artem Zua, the, the best hold-up <laughs> player in the world, potentially. Um, and uh, oh, he, you have an argument there, you know? Like it, it sounds ridiculous, but Russia, not, Russia's one of the most defensive leagues in Europe. It, it's consistently got the highest clean sheets, the the lowest goals per game, and so on. But because so many teams pack the defense with five men at the back, huge big guys at the back, and and arguably the only one that's more physically imposing is maybe the English Premier League, purely because of the pace that's there. Because don't get forget, pace is a physical attribute. But Russia is one of the most physically imposing leagues. It's the, the way the games are played, the way a lot of the football is played. To have the best target man in arguably a, a division where the target men are the best, look at the two of the three top goal scorers, Litsenko and Zuba are target men through and through. Alexander Sobolev is a target man through and through. Sean Marudov is a target man through and through. Obviously, four of those five are better at other things as well. A lot better at other things in Zuba's case. But they're all very proficient target men. Yeah. Is there many other players who are genuinely as good at back to goal, holding a defender or bringing his teammates into, into the game as Zuba has been for the last 18 months? It's hard to say. I mean, Russia, as we I think we mentioned on the pod a few weeks back, they've got, you know, we look at Lutsenko, we look at Solev, Russia is developing or bringing through a lot of these kind of players who are big, big burly strikers who are who are good in the air can can hold up the ball. But obviously they play in teams where they're not going to get the ball as much and they're not going to score as much. Stu was playing in a team where they're on the ball all the time and he is the big outlet for them. Mm-hmm. And uh, therefore he is just absolutely overproductive almost, you know. 12 assists this season is uh, three better than his next his next best rival and they're all they're all if you go back and look at them i'm sure they're all going to be the most simple assists you can imagine flick ons five <laughs> yard layoffs for midfielders or as moon or Not like bones. the amount of times you see as moon and you go through on goal and one of them just lays it off so that they've got a tap in when they're <laughs> when they're against the goalkeeper um, it was the at the weekend it was the second last game of the season i, I must admit i really quite quite enjoy it so you're playing against orenberg it's the worst team in the league by quite some distance Asmoon, Sadar Asmoon's already scored twice in that game. He's through on goal, one-on-one to score, get his hat-trick, to go level at the top of the, the top of the, 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 the Russian standings of the of the, of the, the goal scorers. If he had scored, which you would probably bet that he, he would have probably scored one-on-one in the form that he's in, he would now be the highest goal scorer. But it's an absolute measure of the man that the better option for the team was to square it to Artem Zuba, the man who is his direct rival for the golden ball, as they call it. It's, it I, I, I was watching that, and I just had to sit there and just applaud Asmoon for that sheer yeah. unselfishness of that. They've got a great relationship, the two of them, and uh, as we you know, as we discussed on the pod a couple of weeks back, you know, they, they just work so well together. I think uh, I think Asmoon technically did win the golden boot because he played a lot less minutes. I think he played an extra 200 minutes less than Zuba or something like that. Um <laughs> But at least Juba gets the whatever it be the golden, the golden something for the for the most assists yeah. at the very least. But yeah, undoubtedly there are there are picks. And I know we discussed it before, but whether they will be there next season is another big question as well. Both linked to Wayovsky. Mm-hmm. Intriguing, yeah. Intriguing. Um, yeah, somewhere ahead. We will have to move on because I think this one is going to be quite horrific. Um. 
left wing. So let's in Sasha, Sasha right with the left three. Now I've got five players in red here, and I genuinely didn't have a clue who to choose between four of them. Now the one that I think I will want to put give an honourable mention is Malcolm. He's been absolutely brilliant for Zenit when he's played, but he's missed two thirds of the season, mm-hmm. so you we can't put him in this team. But I would just like to say how good Malcolm has been, especially since the restart. He's just scored worldies and and like kind of joined Zuba and Asmund to make that fearsome twosome a, a trio of like just absolute genuine talent. But Dominant then away from a terrific trio. <laughs> yeah, like, it, it, I just can't really avoid giving him a little bit of credit there. But he hasn't played enough, and it's simple as that. Now away from that. I absolutely have no idea who to pick between Nikola Vlasic, Wanderson, Obliakov, Bakai, Evan Ayanov. Okay, well, I think Obliakov falls into the centre mids for starters. So I think we can rule him out. He's played, he's centre mid out and out this season. So, I know, um, but I just, he's, he's been very good, you know. Yeah, if we cut, if we, <laughs> I mean, I mentioned him, I mentioned him for the centre mid roles. He was, uh, oh, he, was fine. he was my outfit. Kevin then to Parios. I think uh, my my calls for the wingers are, of course, Vlasic or the wingers slash attacking midfielders. If we're saying this could be maybe a more fluid four two two two, for going a bit more tactical, then uh, Vlasic. Yeah, I was thinking that. Yeah. Bakayev would be up there. Zelim Khan, that is Bakayev from uh, Spartak. Mm-hmm. You know, may not even look, you know, considering how bad Spartak have been, but you know, very good numbers all year. Um, Good, a lot of goals, a lot of assists, and uh, first good season for his boyhood club, you know, his first ever season for the club. Um, outside shout to Zinkovsky, I thought, you know, one of the best assisters in the league, but didn't score this year. Um, but ultimately, Very good. ultimately cost them a bit. Towards, you know, I, I remember the, the guilt-edged chance that he missed in one of those matches, uh, only for then Krilia to concede. I think it was against Lokomotiv. Lokomotiv, yeah. If if he'd scored that, um, they wouldn't have been relegated. Which I mean, I'm sure there are plenty of those moments throughout the season where, you know, we're not putting the blame fully on Zinkovsky, but um, yeah, that's a moment of madness. Um, I'd also like to give a shout out to Mostovoy from Sochi. I think he's had a good season. Um, for them, it was much as we try not to talk about Sochi. Um, <laughs> I think he's I think he's been very very good. Um, and I like I like Vanderson, but I wouldn't have him up there as as one of the best um, this season. I think I think I would certainly lean towards others more more ahead of him. Yeah, Richard, who do you think you got any big suggestions you want to hire in for the left wing? Oh, it's such a difficult position, isn't it? Um, I'm beginning to agree with David though in terms of moving to like a four-two-two-two. I think because because yeah, I mean. Who else could we pick? Yeah, Zinkovsky's had a good season, like you've said. Um, I'm not sh- not sure about Wat Vanderson. Obiakov, yeah, like we said earlier, is more of a central midfielder. Oof. Yeah, I'm thinking of moving towards like yeah, what like we said, a four-two-two-two, and uh, maybe having um, maybe having Vlasic in there. I'd probably say. I think I think that would be. I think I'd have to go Vlasic. Um, you know, he, he's really carried since. Yeah, yeah, but I think there's two standouts in Vlasic and Bakayev, and that mm-hmm. Selim Khan Bakayev has been the only shining light in a pretty dreadful season, and the fact that he's 
consistently performed and consistently dragged his team out of the mire. He's created the most chances per 90 out of anybody this season, which I was very surprised about when I read that, if I'm perfectly honest. I genuinely thought that would be Vlasic. Uh, and he's got nine assists this season yeah. as well, which is the highest in the league. That's Play, But he has done a lot of that playing in a more central role under Kolonov as a 10, yeah. under Domenico Tedesco, actually playing in a, a, a very advanced centre mid, but very much like the Man City mould where Silver and De Bruyne are just push and have got freedom to go and do what they want. When you compare um, it to like his last season at Arsenal Tula where he was out and out right winger, cutting in on his left yeah. boot and, and just yes. bending. He was basically Robin. He, I think he got labelled the Russian Robin, didn't he, last season? Because yeah. that was basically <laughs> how he was playing. If you just picture Robin's game, but slightly less, not as good. Um, then that was what he was doing. And he's had to adapt to something completely different. Uh, and he and he's done it very well, I think. Um, and you, you can't fault the numbers that he's put in. But it's funny that we, we've we obviously picked Miranchuk and we're leaning Vlasic, who have both scored uh, 12 apiece, both good goal scorers this season. But their assist numbers uh, are only three and five, which is not great for an attacking midfielder. Uh, but you can mm-hmm. see that they've both, you know, Cisco, you have, um, you know, Fyodor Chalos had a poor season, although he's having a bit, bit had a bit of a rerun there towards the end of the season. Uh, so Vlasic and Miranchuk both had to take the range and score the goals for their teams. Yeah, um, so they didn't they didn't really need or have the assist opportunities that they they might have had to boost their numbers. You know, if you if you if I'd said guess how many assists Miranchuk got, and I don't think you'd have said three. No, no, that, that, that's, that's, that's exactly it. I mean, Loco don't have a striker. Ede is not a striker. He's just a big guy up top. <laughs> he can't score a save. He's like, come on. But <laughs> no, but Chalov is the big one for Vlasic. I mean, Vlasic had, was it double figures for both goals and assists last season? He was the only player in the whole of the RPL yeah, to do so. And then this year, it's kind of like the assists have hit off a cliff. It's, but yeah. he's given them, he's making the opportunities for Chalov, who's just been dreadfully out of form. Chalov's missed more big chances than anybody else in the league this season. Yeah, I think uh, it's more indicative of Chalov rather than Vlasic for me. Yeah, I remember last year it was Vlasic. I think it provided six, six or seven of his assists were for Chalov. And uh, yeah. I think in recent weeks we've certainly seen, I or I've certainly noticed, sort of their their uh, bond or their sort of relationship on the pitch has come back. You, you've seen their interplay sort of come back in recent weeks, and they've they've scored and assisted. Uh, they've each scored and assisted a couple of times in the last few weeks here. Um, yeah, it was against Matt and Orenberg, wasn't it? Mm, hopefully they can keep that going um, for, for the start of next season, which is obviously not far away now. Um, but yeah, Vlasic, Vlasic for me. You know, <laughs> Two years in a row on, in Russia, and he's, he's been terrific in both. And he's, still, he's only, still only 22 years old. I don't know if you've just seen on the document, but I've just kind of bit the bullet, deleted... Bakayev wrote in Vlasic and I think as a website, as people who follow football, as trying to be as impartial as possible, it can't not have Nikola Vlasic in this team. Mm-hmm. It's as simple as that. And equally, although Bakayev has performed very well on these individual individually, Alexander Sobolev has, not for Spartak, for Krilia, um, Sam Ujijo has, but I genuinely think it would be remiss if we included a single Spartak player on this list this season because of the absolute mess in madhouse that Spartak have been. Well, perhaps if we uh, if we're tweeting out the the team later, we can we can list some subs 
and uh, yeah. we can we can include uh, the Kaim in there. I think for Boris different. Rosenberg, Khalid Kadyrov. Oh, <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> no, and let's not forget one of the Rostov teenagers, one of the ones that scored. Yeah, Roman Romanov. Oh yeah, what a name! That's the guy. Don't know why I remember that. Yeah, I mean, if we, if we did want a, a few notable mentions, it has to go to people like Lutsenka, Lutsenka, uh, Ostoyev. I mean, I would I would like to put a little hat in in, in um, Chistyakov at Rostov. I think it's been absolutely brilliant yeah, this season. I thought about him earlier as well when we were when we were talking defenders. Um, Daniel Formina Ufa had a had, yeah, had a good season. Yeah, um, definitely. Krugovoy um, at left back. Well, he missed a lot of the season, actually. He's missed a lot of it with injury. I think he's only played about yeah. 10 times. He's in the Malcolm case for me. Whenever he played, he was very influential, but he just can't really stick him in. Yeah, I think... So uh... if I want to... go, I'll just quickly go through the team one last time. Mm-hmm. Just to recap. So yeah, we've sure. got... Uh, great, Jesus Christ. We've got seven Zenit players. <laughs> so Yuri Chupin in gold with Ruben Kazan. An entire Zenit back four of Karavayev, Ivanovic, Lukitsky, and Douglas Santos. Uh, Sasha Maranchuk, Krakowiak, Vilma Barrios, Nikola Vlasic, and then Zuba and Asmoon up top. It's pretty fair. And it, yeah. It's very Zenit because Zenit are head and shoulders is the best team in the division good bar team. none. It's weird. I was trying to think, like, obviously Dinamo came in sixth in the end and uh, may well get into Europe. I was trying to think, right, who who's their best player this season? And I just really don't think any of them have had that good a season. You know, Max, no. Maxi, Maxi Philip came in from Dortmund and I think he, without checking, I'm, I'm assuming he's probably their top scorer, but mostly from pens and, and yeah. uh, free kicks. He's played well, goal, but he's but... still underachieved. But yeah, he's underachieved. And I, I don't think any of that team, bar probably uh, Shunin in goal, have had a terrific yeah. season. Um, well, Dini more the opposite of Ufa. Ufa, you, you can mention these players. You can say, like, oh, they've had a wonderful season. Like, Uranov is a, a person I would like to notably mention, even though he's mm. played nowhere near enough games to get on this list. He's one you look at and say, oh, he's playing out of his skin right now. That's the system working for the players who are yeah. not in some of the parts. Whereas Dinamo are literally the opposite. Dinamo are a, are a team that's absolutely rife with talent. Oh, yeah. Like, far too much talent than they have any right to have, to be quite honest. But each one individually has actually kind of underperformed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Cabore is not that they like not stood out. And the defense, I don't think stood out. They brought in Sly Boone at the start of the season. I'm thinking he's not even done that well. You know, he suited Ufa's mm-hmm. play perfectly, but he's not really done it for for Dinamo. And their squad is so old as well. You know, most of their players are, are well, a good chunk of their players are 30 plus, like of their key players. So um, yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do. The, the weird thing about Dinamo is that arguably some of their best players are most impressive this season for me in terms of form. Have been the ones who are less glamorous. I mean, uh, Vladimir Rykov, uh, Neustadter, and Jauzinho have just had consistently solid seasons again without really pulling up any trees or really putting themselves in like the limelight. Uh, so what was it? Coming, just come in there, guys. Say what was interesting, like quite a bizarre um, scenario was when that two 0 win that they got against Krasnodar to secure Champions League football. It's quite interesting how that was the two people who scored those goals were Drauzinho, who they got on a free from Krasnodar, who's played in Russia for many many years, and then Vyacheslav Gruyov, who's been out on loan in the second tier. So it's it's quite interesting, isn't it? How the big name players, like Szymanski. 
yes, yeah, it was a weird game that obviously because both teams sort of rotated a bit. I mean, Dinamo started, I think, uh, six or seven academy players in that game, or you know, including some older ones like Morozov, who's is a bit older now. Um, but they started three kids up front in Grulyov, uh, Danilin, and uh, Skolik just behind, and, and they played all really well. Um, Skolik's really exciting, I think. Obviously, yeah. all three have been like Dinamo Moscow's youth team have kind of ran away and slaughtered everybody else in the yeah. in the youth league of the season. But Skolik, of what I've seen of him, and especially in that match, he was he's got a he's he's small, so his low center of gravity helps, but he's got just an, an innate ability of to keeping that ball close to him and beating a man, mm. which you don't really see in kids of that age very often. Usually that maybe the confidence holds them back or, or like lack of confidence or just nervousness holds them from like wanting to like, start oh, to want to make that mistake in front of like, in this team. I just want to get through the game and just show myself a little bit, but he was just taking people on left, right and center and absolutely doing them. Mm. It was really, really good to see. It was weird to see um, Karapuzov suddenly, you know, out of nowhere he got, a start he'd not been in the squad all season and suddenly he got yeah. he got a start and I'd, yeah. I'd not even heard of him uh you know he's 20 years old compared to the teenagers in uh, Danny Lynn and Skolik but he's not been too bad as a as a winger option um I think that whole game just genuinely took Krasnodar and Musayev by complete shock I mean they expect they they expected to go their win and just kind of battle for second yeah. in the last game of the season and Dino changed everything like literally the the goalkeeper changed the the brought in players who either haven't played at all this season or like Yevgenev who hasn't played in months completely changed the style of play but Jauzinho at left wing back who the hell has ever seen that before and then <laughs> pretty much seen that Krasnodar play on the halfway line 90% of the time that's how Krasnodar do when they expect to do so to be camped in their opposition half stuck the kids on said lads go for it Get down, get on your shoulder, and just get them on the countdown. It works perfectly. Be uh, interesting to see how Komlichenko gets on next season. I think he uh, he's done okay since he uh, joined. Mm-hmm. I think uh, when he first started before the COVID break, obviously they they had three games, and I think he scored he scored once, but he had hit the post and the bar a few times in one of the games. Yeah, and then obviously he just stalled after that, and he scored. He's only scored three times therefore in in his short spell at the club thus far. But I think uh, I think there's there's potential there. I think he's going to suit them um, quite well in the long term um, if they can just get just get something a bit more fluid going on around him. Um, he has missed one or two pretty bad chances, but that's that's what you've just said. There's definitely is Dinamo's midfield, especially, is just very workmanlike. Yeah. If Phillips not really up to it, which let's be honest, half the time he really isn't. He looks like a man who just thinks he's a class above this level, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. He just comes across like he's just a little bit aloof and a little bit arrogant at times, and that he doesn't really want to put the work in, or doesn't really want... A bit like Letizia, but in a, or Berbatov, but in the bad way, like that sort of laziness. And then away from that, yeah. it's, it's just very workmanlike. You've got Yusupov and Neustadter and Kavori. There's just not really anybody who you want to get the game by the scruff of the neck and make a run beyond the target man and get involved and, and link up that sort of play. And then as a result, Dinamo just look completely def- like isolated with Komlachenko up top old, on his own. He's quite an old midfield as well, isn't it? You've got, I think, Neustadt and Kaboria, 32, Yusupov is 30. So I can see why they're being linked with uh, Daniel Fomin from Ufa. He's only 23, just got a call up to the Russian national team. So be interesting to see if they, anything develops with that. I think his price, I read somewhere, it's around three and a half to four and a half million euros. 
So be interesting if anything comes of that this summer. Because yeah, I definitely think they, they definitely need some fresh legs in midfield, probably. Yeah, they need a creator. I'm gonna have to move on because we've went way over time, <laughs> getting involved in little tangents and debates about the players. But this is the fun part of the season. Now there is one little last thing to come still in the season yet, and that is the cup final on Saturday evening. Oh, sorry, it's cool. And Zenit faces off against FNL side Kimki in a truly Davis versus Goliath encounter. So the Moscow-based side, managed by Sergey Uran, who's kind of a bit of a journeyman in, across the FNL and the post-Soviet bloc. Now, the li- li- Russian listeners will probably know that he became a bit of a cult figure after partaking in a weird TV show. It was called uh, Who Wants to Become a Legionnaire? Where he and Valery Karpin travelled around the country and kind of looked for talented footballers across Russia. And it was, it was really... I've seen clips of it on YouTube, and it's very bizarre. It's, it's kind of like brass-eye fourth wall without actually meaning to do so at times. But anyway, Kimki themselves have now played three friendlies over the last three weeks and then had the first competitive football game in March in that semi-final victory over Ural. And over the course of the season, they actually had one of the joint the, the joint best defence of the league with Chitanova, conceding just 19 goals in 27 games. Now, they ran away with a 3-0 lead early over Ural, but the biggest take I got was the, the how well drilled they were in the second half when Big Falbi and Yukorachev and Co had absolutely no answer to a lot of what Kimki's defending. Mm. Now, David, just how impressed were you with Kimki's defensive performance specifically against Ural? And do you think they could get anything? Well, I'll come to the second one after. I think, uh, yeah, they've been, they I mean, they were terrific defending uh, for the first part of the season. Uh, they had uh, Danielkin and Filin as their, as their centre-back duo. Uh, Filin got picked up by Tambov in the summer break and he's been a a regular fixture in their defence since, um, and then they've had to sort of adapt um, and stick uh, the experience of Evgeny Gapon in there, who's, who obviously scored the opener. Um, yeah, and they and they were terrific. I mean, you, you look at the right back on the opposite. You know, uh, Gapon's the wrong side of thirty. Danilkin's, uh, I think, twenty four. He's just turned twenty four this year. But their right back, uh, Kirill Bozhinov, is only uh, eighteen, I believe, and uh, he's he's been in and out of the team this year, but um, had a great game against Zurel. You know, he, he provided the assist uh, for one of the goals. I forget which one it was. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, I wasn't on the pod when you when you discussed the the cup, but I, I sort of always had an inkling they could do something. You know, they, they were so dominant for most of the year, uh, had knocked out RPL clubs earlier in the cup as well. And Ural were... Uh, you know, so shaky. You never know what kind of Ural's going to turn up. Is it the one that's going to lose seven one to Zenit, or is it the one who's going to who's going to destroy Boromburg <laughs> or something like that? You know, uh, on their on their yeah, day. Like you ask Andrew, it's the it's the second one every week. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, uh, the chances against Zenit, if, you'd expect Zenit to be able to walk away with it against anyone at the moment in Russia. Obviously, Zenit aren't unbeatable, and they they have lost this year. Um, but it's one game, and you'd expect Zenit to be able to just to tank whatever Kim yeah. throw it. Like I, I kind of anachronistically and far too early wrote Kimki off last week and made a little joke to Andrew about good luck in the final, guys, because oh, Spartak, we're not going to get there. Now that was mainly aimed at Spartak being crap, to be honest. But I unfairly wrote Kimki off too early, and. I was absolutely proved wrong. I was I watched the game and I thought they were great. Like even up like was was talking about the defence, but up top the no slouches. 
like the Ukrainian winger Artem Polyaris and and Diad Yun, who's kind of having a little bit of renaissance with Kimki that you'd never have expected. And they've actually got a combined seven goals in the cup this season. And like Polyaris's goal was a really well taken, like lovely little finish in the far corner. Mm. Again, that was against Ural Nasemi. So now, Richard, do you think that they could trouble Zenit's miserly defence? I mean, we've already mentioned today that Zenit are, are easily the best defence in Russia. They have statistically and in terms of talent. And all four of their starting defenders are on our team of the season. Do you think Kimki could get anything from that? Or is it just one task too far? Well, the beauty of a cup final is, is um, as I can testify myself as a Wigan Athletic supporter when we beat Man City in 2013, is you just never know in... in, in um, you know, you literally just never know what's going to happen. It's a one-off game. It's not a league match. Um, Kim Key surprised Ural. So, you know, I think with the promotion now, you know, as a result of today being confirmed, I reckon that result against Ural will give them confidence to try and stay up. You know, they certainly look quite compact themselves, quite defensively astute. Um, and, you know, that the goal, yeah, the, the front three, well, oh, sorry, um, Polyaris definitely looked quite good. Koryan too. So, you know, they might have... You know, there is a slight chance, I would say, with them beating Ural, because um, I, I certainly didn't expect it. But um, but one thing it will do is that it certainly will um, it certainly will invigorate Zenit. There'll be no complacency now from um, Sir Max Boyce because he will told them, you know, they beat Ural. Let's not underestimate them. You just never know. So you just never know in a cup yeah. final. It's a one-off game, but I think ultimately, I think Zenit will be too, you know, playing Zenit compared to playing Garel, it's a different kettle of fish altogether. You just never know, but um, Polyaris, obviously, I think we were saying um, before the pod, we were saying about how, I think he's won the FNL Player of the Year, hasn't he? Uh, the FNL yeah. Player of the Year. He's a very good player. <laughs> Had he not been promoted, I think he would have been probably turned to one of the bottom end of the RPL clubs for a move, but it looks like he might be getting the chance to play there next season anyway, because obviously the promotion's been confirmed. Um, you just never know in football, but I think Zenit will have that bit more focus. So Matt won't let them slack off for that one game. The players have been resting the last two, three games anyway. Zenit in the league, they've been resting players. Uh, I yeah. just think too strong. I think Zenit will be too strong for for Kim Key. Um, you just never know, but I think they'll be too strong. I have to agree. I mean, look, as you mentioned, they've, they've been playing the kids. Shankin's got a game. Prokin's got a game. Masayev, second, the reserve team, which is probably better than most other teams' first team, and. Yalakin starting, um, Rigoni, Mamana's back in the team again for the last few. But when it comes to Semak and him basically taking control of the team, he's not going to let them stand stand up whatsoever. He's going to play his strongest team. The one to win the double, to be the first team to do so since you know, Slutsky Siska in 2013. And especially Semak is the double, the cup and uh, league double is one thing that's actually always avoided Semak, both as a player and now at Zenit. He won the Super League and the League in the same year. He's won uh, the Europa League and the League in the same year, but he never actually won the Russian Cup and, the, and the, the league together. And that's one thing that I think he will want in his trophy cabinet. Now, quick predictions for the game. I'll, just, I'll, I'll, not, I'll not ask for score lines because who ever could have guessed Kimki beating Ural 3-1, but it's got to be Zenit, right, David? I think anyone, any observer, partial or impartial, um, would be mad to not say it's going to be Zenit. Um, you know, I, I, I dread to see what the betting odds would be, but it, it's yeah, I'd be foolish to not say Zenit are going to win it. And Richard, you, you in agreeance there as well, I think? 
Yeah, I think Zenit will win. Um, I think yeah, it's it's just if they were playing, I mean, if they were playing Spartak, you you could given how chaotic Spartak have been, you just never know. You know, they Spartak would have still, <laughs> would have still been favourites. I don't mean that in a bad way, by the way. I don't mean that to make fun of Spartak, but um, if they were playing Spartak, you just never know. But I think Zenit are just too professional, too high a level, and I think I think Zenit will win. Yeah. Definitely. Even if Spartak were in the final, they'll never get anything because they've got the conspiracy, you know. <laughs> but and on to a quick one on permutations now. So if Zenit win, then Dinamo Moscow will be into the hat for next season's Europa League qualifying rounds and possibly return to the European competition for the first time since the fella foul of breaking FPP rules. And they were banned and subsequently relegated as a result of their financial issues, which came as a result of this ban. Do they, I think they'll be all right this time, Dino. Now, not to suggest that they'll get through or get through and do be successful, but surely the same can't happen. Lightning can't strike twice, right, David? Well, I mean, as we all know, they they spent big last year on uh, on Philippe and Shimansky and and uh, Skopinsev, and then they brought in Komlenchenko in in uh, in January. So they've obviously got money again. Whether they've spent it wisely enough to stay within FFP is another question, but um, you, you'd have thought that the backing they've got at the moment, and you'd hope that they had at least learned from their lessons in the past. Um, you know, it's, uh, this would be the third year in the row where the cup result has meant that sixth place has gone into Europe. We saw Ufa do it a couple of years back, and then we saw Arsenal Tula do it last year. Um, Ufa did a lot better than Arsenal, although neither made the group stage. Uh, you know, it's, it's three rounds of qualifying they've got to go through. Um, so it'll be a tough, tough one for Dinamo, even if they do just extra fixtures to add to their schedule. Um, but but yeah, it's, it's I think they'd be okay. I think they I think they they should be alright financially to uh, to play. Yeah, and you you think that? I mean, well, let's go on this one. If Kimki managed the impossible and wins, there's suggestions that there were previous suggestions that they might have denied European football due to a lack of funding, but. Over the last couple of days, it's it seems that they've, they've found some funds somewhere and have actually now accepted the RPL license, which was a long rumor not to do. And it's being confirmed that Kim Key will now be promoted and play in the RPL next season. So thus, with this, they could actually accept a play in Europe as well. But on this one, I want to finish off quickly the last little bit is there's actually rumors abound in the current Russian media that they might take a substantial number of loanees from none other than Spartak and become like a pseudo-farm club to the Red and Whites, just like Sochi half to Zenit, kind of like a, a Zenit 1.5, if you want to anachronistically boil it down to that. Now, I'll, I'll come to you both, but David first, what's what's your thoughts on that? It's max of a, it just sounds a little bit dodgy, do you not think? Or I mean, it's just Spartak it's trying to like get to the see, other hand. It's not what you like to see, really, but... Uh, you know, we saw Spartak do it, and we not saw Spartak. We saw Zenit and Sochi sort of form some sort of a, a link last year, and uh, you know, we, I mean, in recent years we've seen uh, a number of clubs in the league um, sort of pick up players on loan from Spartak and Zenit. Arsenal, Tula, and Ufa are the ones that have come to mind. They've both taken loanies from the, from those clubs uh, over the last couple of seasons: Lomovitsky, Lesovoy, Bakayev. Um, so you know, if if Spartak want to get rid of some of the fodder and Kimki need players, then it's not out of the realms of possibility for something like that to happen. And and there's nothing we can do to stop it, unfortunately, as we saw with Sochi last year. Yeah. 
Because so you see what you're saying is we can finally, finally get rid of Mirzov, the most incompetent winger in Russia. <laughs> I think so. But did, uh, Richard, do you think there's any positives on this from Spartak? Do you think maybe they could get some young lads getting some good experience, get some deadwood off? Yeah, there's, there's the possibility of even even sending them some loans. I mean, I guess Rotor and and um, Kimki are going to be so short of players because obviously, you know, the season starts again in a couple of weeks' time, the new season, and this promotion is always, you know, it's it's not been confirmed for very long. So there might even be, yeah, the possibility of Kim, Kimki possibly, you know, quite a number of Spartak loanees there uh, to add to the squad. And yeah, the possibility of dumping Mertzoff and Yeshenko there is, you know, very tempting, let's just say. Um, and yeah, I, I think that's that's kind of something that they'll look to explore, um, Himke, because um, obviously you've not got a lot of time. It's an extended transfer window, of course, but the possibility of new Spartak loanies there, yeah, it might do some of the youngsters at Spartak who aren't getting a game at the moment or are doing well at Spartak too, but can't bridge the gap to the first team. You know, it's a decent chance for them to go and play RPL possibly. Um, you know, so yeah, I think it's something, yeah. something. I mean, dumping, don't I say dumping Mirzov and Yashenko there is not necessarily a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. Now I, I can't tell, but like the spot I, I mentioned, me and Richard talked about this before the podcast, and that the Spartak and my, my fan in me is a little bit excited in the terms of it is obviously a good thing for Spartak. It they can it can help them get a little bit on parity with Zenit. They've got a bloody long way to go though. But the football fan in me absolutely despises everything about this. This farm club culture. This getting just hand them all off is just awful and it's just ranks of just just it's just not very nice well like, i mean i don't even think spartak necessarily need to do it when you look at let's just say over the last two years the success of players who have gone out on loan such as bakayev arsenal tula lomovitsky somewhat had success came back to spartak did make out and then he's gone back out on loan again uh and mm-hmm. then this year we've had uh glushenkov at Krulia. Has had a as well certainly the second half of the season, which is the only period he's out on loan, uh, has been somewhat as a re- of a revelation. So, yeah, I don't necessarily think they need a feeder club. Um, clubs like that have gone in and said, right, we like this player; he'll fit what we need. Can we take him rather than Kim Keeler? Here's all our dross. Do what you want with him. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think they don't necessarily need a feeder club. They they the loan system has been working for them anyway in the last couple of years, and they've got some good players on their hands as a result of it. And they also now are happy to blood youth themselves with mm-hmm. Golosov and Gabanov, Maslov, all in the team, all Spartak Academy players, Laskasov, Maximenka, Bakayev, oh, the list goes on. Maslov. Andrew Flint will not be happy if you, that you put Maslov <laughs> a, a Spartak Academy player. We all know where he started out in Siberia. No, no, no. Yeah. It's some just some small town in Siberia. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, he, he was at Tarasovka playing for Spartak 2 and has made the jump up. But I agree that it's it's unnecessary. Spartak don't need it. The only way that Spartak need it is in the mentality of Spartak. Spartak, let's not say the fans. The, fa- the fans. I don't want to have a go, but it's true. But mainly the club is an arrogant football club. They need to be the same as Zenit. They need to have, if Zenit have that, Spartak must have that. If they're up there, we must be up there. They have to be the best, and that's just the mentality they have. And it's understandable after being so successful so long for generations. It's, it isn't genuinely understandable reason as to why. But the only reason Spartak want a, a feeder club is because Spartak want it and not necessarily because they need it. 
And on that bombshell, <laughs> that's been it for the RFN podcast this week. Thanks again, David and Richard, for joining myself. No problem. Pleasure. You're welcome. We'll be back again next week to review the Russian Cup final and have a little look and maybe it could be just a little David against Goliath or not. <laughs> Check out the site at russianfootballnews.com for coverage of the games and wider goings on in Russian football. I've been James Nichols and that's at James Nichols on Twitter. David, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, my Twitter is at RFN David. I guess you probably do, like, you know, at RFN James and change it up. You're like the only one who does it and we should all jump on that bandwagon. <laughs> Richard, what's your Twitter? Mine is at Rich D Pike, at Rich D Pike 89. At Rich D Pike 89. This has been the RFN podcast. Goodbye for now. Веди его, беги, точнее его удар, Но мяч берет ноги решительный вратарь. Не напрасно футбольное поле Самых ловких и смелых плечок. Здесь нужны тренировка и воля, Быстрота, увлечение, расчет.